Please turn your Bibles to 3 John with me, 3 John, as we continue to make our way through the last of John's epistles here, 3 John, John is writing to Gaius, and here in verses 9 and 10, he, we introduce a, a new person to the letter, a man named Diotrephes, and we learn a lot about church conflict and, and self-exaltation as we look at diatrophies, and so there's some very, I think, some powerful things we're going to consider this morning as a church as we look at, at diatrophies. And if you uh, are able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together, we're looking uh, at verses 9 and 10 this morning, but I'm going to start a few verses early. I'm going to start in verse 5 to help give us a little bit of the context here. But again, looking at verses 9 and 10 this morning as we see uh, some ways that you could destroy a church if you were so inclined. Verse 5, John writes this, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And we come to verse 9. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. May God warn us and instruct us through his word this morning. You may be seated. May we be encouraged to pursue God with, with our whole hearts. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do beseech you this morning. We ask you that you would help us to, to seek you and your glory in the church. We pray that you would protect our church and, and other churches from those things would cause it to, to, to die, to be destroyed, for its ministry to you to, to be hindered. We pray that you'd help us to be faithful in our, our task of proclaiming your excellencies, the, the glory of the one who called us from darkness into light. And We pray for those who are hurting this morning. We pray for your special hand of, of love and care on them. Help us to, to come alongside them, even in, in circumstances we don't know. And give an encouraging word and an uplifting uh, hug and things that would help people pursue you with, with greater joy. We pray that our hearts would be open to these things that you're teaching us this morning, that we would be humble as we consider your call in our life. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. The universal church that is, all the, the people of God from, from all time, all those who've been part of the church, the universal church cannot die. It's protected by God through the power of his word, who promised us that the gates of hell cannot prevail against his, his church. The universal church of God cannot die. The local church, on the other hand, can and often does die. The local church, that is kind of the, the local expression of the church in a community, often encounters situations and circumstances in, in which it ceases to exist, or at the very least, its ministry is incredibly hindered and hampered. I can remember being a 
a young, fresh-faced, idealistic associate pastor and coming on staff at a, at, a, at a bigger church and thinking, okay, now I've arrived at a healthy church, a, a church where things are, are going well and there's going to be security in, in this job. And at a church like this, nothing bad could ever happen in a church that's, that's this healthy, which um, it wasn't true, right? And even though God and His grace protected the church there, I saw just how fragile a church could be. And I had friends in seminary who told me about stories from their churches or friends' churches or saw churches in the news, churches that seemed solid and yet just, you know, a push at the right time, a gust of wind in the right direction, and that ministry of the church was, was destroyed. All sorts of things, maybe the moral failings of leaders or a financial crisis struck the church at just the wrong time, or people just kind of got tired of the pastor or something terrible like that. So I was talking to my friend Dan, Dan Lehman from a Faith Evangelical Free Church on Wednesday, and we were here at Five Points, and he came up to me and goes, hey, yeah, I had a, I had a pastor's dream last night. He said, yeah, I was, I was dreaming, and, and I don't know exactly what happened, but somehow like, I couldn't find my notes or the preparation wasn't going right. I said, I know exactly what you mean. I have that dream about once a month, you know, I'll be trying to, find, I'll be dreaming, I, I can't find all my notes, or I get up here, I, I, I've forgotten the pulpit, and then I have to go find the, or the music stand, I have to go find the music stand, and it just, it's, it, you know, it's very stressful, and I, I think I've told you about the dreams I had kind of the first few years of ministry. I would show up to five points, and no one else would be here, or I'd be preaching, and, and I would feel like things weren't going very well. And so, well, I mean, I'm looking at my notes wrong. And so I'd look at my notes and I'd, I'd look back up at you guys and you would not be very uh, nice in your expressions and your face. And then I would look back down at my notes again and then I would look up and you would all be gone. <laughs> Which is tr- why I try to look at my notes very quickly in kind of an angle. No, I trust you guys more than that. It would take at least five minutes of staring at my notes, I think, before... But a church, in all seriousness, a church is a fragile thing. A church can die. A local church can die, and often does. And one of the most common causes of a church dying, or at least its ministry being severely hampered, is church conflict, right? Church conflict. Most of us in this room can think of examples of church conflict in churches we've been a part of. Maybe a leader and the congregation got into some sort of conflict and it got nasty. Or some leaders got in conflict with one another and and began to kind of separate the church into different factions and things got ugly. Or maybe two prominent families in the church got upset at each other or there were two factions that developed in the church and it just kind of spread into all the different ministries. Or, or maybe there's just this one person in the church who loved to, to cause trouble. And all of us can think of examples of church conflict in churches that we've been a part of. And all of us know someone who's been in a church that's ceased to exist. The, the first church that I was on staff at, it, it no longer exists anymore. That's a sad thing. And it's a serious thing, church conflict is. The effects of church conflict are, are very profound. 
You talk to a young person who says, yeah, I, I was a part of the church, but everyone always fought with each other, and you know, I'm, I'm tired with that. And they use church conflict as an excuse to say why they're no longer part of the church. Or you, you hear stories of people who were in a church, and they were serving the church, they were engaged in ministry, and then there was a church conflict, they left the church, and, and now they don't go to church at all. They say, well, I'm trying to heal because I went through a church conflict. Or they'll say, yeah, I go back to church, but I haven't really plugged back into ministry yet because I'm, I'm trying to, to get over what went on in the past. Or we've talked to people who were in pastoral ministry who said, well, I, I burned out because of the, the church conflict. It's, it's, it's serious. Not only does it affect that, that local church, but it affects the people who are part of that local church and the ministries that they have. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that church conflict when it takes place in a church, church conflict has ripples on into eternity. There are eternal consequences of a church in turmoil because of conflict. It's a big deal. And those of us who love the Lord Jesus Christ and love his church should want no part in it. We don't want to be a part of church conflict we don't want to participate in it. We don't certainly want to cause it. So I want us together to, to look at this, this passage here, verses 9 and 10, and, and to look at this guy, Diotrephes, because he is a model of what not to do if you do not want to be in church conflict. Diotrephes what we're going to see is a person who's causing conflict. And, and here's kind of the main thing I want you to glean from Diotrephes' life and, and what he's engaging here. Uh, the, the main point of this passage, I think, even is this. If I want to, to harm or destroy a church, I must pursue my own exaltation instead of God's glory. If I am so inclined to want to destroy a church, what I must do is pursue my own glory instead of God's. Conversely, if I'm a person who wants God to be glorified and the church to be an instrument that brings glory to God, the reverse is true. I must seek my own decrease and pursue God's glory instead of my own. If I want to destroy a church, seek my own self-exaltation, and not God's glory. If I want to build God's church, I seek God's glory and not my own. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at Diotrephes here to see how we can protect our, our, ourselves from, from being instruments that the enemy would use to, to destroy a church or destroy the lives in the church. It's certainly not what I desire. I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, it's not what you desire as well. And so let's look at Diotrephes and this potential church conflict that exists here and how John does it. Here's the first thing I want you to see about church conflict and what's happening here in verse 9. I want you to see, first of all, the root issue of church conflict. The root issue of church conflict is self-exaltation. Look at what John writes in verse 9. He says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So, so what's going on here? Remember, John is writing to his friend Gaius, and apparently there's a, a person in Gaius's, perhaps it's his local church, it's certainly his area. Let's assume it's the church that Gaius is a part of, although we're not confident of that. So there's, there's a person in, in Gaius's sphere of influence, perhaps his church, who's in, engaged in this activity, and John is writing about him. 
He says, Gaius, I, I wrote a, ch- a letter to the church. We're not exactly sure what was in that letter. Maybe it was a, a letter commending some missionaries. Maybe it was a letter talking about the things that First John talked about, these doctrinal issues that could destroy a church. He says, I wrote this letter to the church, John says. But Gaius, who wants to put himself first, doesn't acknowledge our authority. So here's this letter I wrote, says John. I, I wrote it to the church, and, and uh, Diotrephes is preventing this letter from being read, the contents of the letter from being applied. And though we don't know exactly what the letter said, apparently John's letter is at odds with what Diotrephes desires. Diotrephes has these desires for the church. John's letter says something else. What John's letter says is at odds with what Diotrephes desires, and so Diotrephes prevents the letter from being read or at least being applied in the church. He's working against John and what John wants to happen in the church. Diotrephes wants to exalt himself. He wants his own purposes to be achieved in the church, and so he's opposing John. For church conflict to exist... Two things need to happen. There are two things that that must take place in order for conflict to exist in the church. And Diotrephes does both of them. If you reject these these two things, it's kind of this two-stage process. If you say, I'm I'm not going to engage in that, church conflict will not result. If you say, I am going to engage in these two things, church conflict is inevitable. Here are the two things that Diotrephes does. Number one, the first thing he does is he rejects God's authority. The first thing he does is reject God's authority. John writes, I, I've written something. Now, John is a gentle guy. Remember, we, we've talked about how John kind of words things in, in a gentle way. Whenever John says, I, I've written something, that's a very important statement. John's letter, John's writing would, would carry a lot of weight. You know, if I said, hey, I I wrote you guys something, I, wrote you, I sent you an email, it doesn't have all that much weight because, you know, Daniel sends lots of emails, right? But, but John has unique authority as an apostle. Listen to what Paul says about the authority of an apostle. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul is writing to the church, and he says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so the church is part of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles with the saints, I'm I'm sorry, built on the the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, but notice what Paul says here. There's a derived authority that the apostles have. He, he's built the church on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The writing and the teaching of the apostles serves as this foundation. Later in Ephesians 3, he says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The apostles were entrusted by Jesus Christ with an authoritative message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
They had a unique authority in the early church to to proclaim the gospel and to exercise authority over the church. It was a God-given authority that came underneath Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean the apostles were always inerrant. Whenever they wrote scripture, they were speaking God was speaking through them, using them. So the scriptures there, but that doesn't mean the apostles were always right in every different circumstance, but they had a unique authority in the early church that the church was called to submit to, to listen to. And so whenever John says Diotrephes, or whenever John says, I've written something, that, that thing that we have written would carry very unique weight. John isn't Jesus, but he's Jesus' delegate, and it's incredibly foolish to reject the teachings of one of the guys that Jesus has left in charge. He says here at the end of verse 9, it says, Diotrephes doesn't acknowledge our authority. Literally, that that word there means, means he doesn't welcome us. He doesn't receive us. Remember we talked before about hospitality and to receive someone was to receive the one who sent them. John chapter 12, Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me and whoever sees me sees him who sent me. And so whenever Diotrephes rejects John and and his letter and his authority, what is he ultimately doing? He's rejecting the authority of, of God himself. In order for church conflict to exist, two things need to happen. And the first thing is you have to reject God's authority. Now, brothers and sisters, there are going to be times in the life of our church where Scripture's authority comes into disagreement with what you or I might want. There's going to be a time where you're in a situation with someone and you know that that Scripture tells you to prefer that other person, but but boy, you really don't want to. There's going to be a time where Scripture calls you maybe to forgive a person and and you really don't want to, or Scripture calls you to overlook a wrong and and you really don't want to, or there's some sort of minor issue that that Scripture tells you is not the thing you need to be focusing your time on, and and you really don't want to do that. What I'm I'm saying is the apostolic authority, the the authority that comes through the apostles' writing in Scripture and the the authority and the inspiration of of God himself is going to come into conflict with what you want. It's inevitable. And there's two choices that you and I have. One choice is is to say, okay, I'm going to accept the authority of, of Scripture and do what Scripture tells me to do. The other choice is to reject the authority of Scripture. And understand this, if you reject the authority of Scripture, conflict is not far behind. The health of your soul and the health of the soul of this church is dependent upon all of us accepting the authority of God's word in our lives. So step one, if you want to exalt self and have church conflict, step, step one, that the first phase is to reject God's authority. What's the second part that Diotrephes does that's necessary for church conflict to exist? The second thing is to pursue your own glory. 
reject authority than pursue your own glory. John says here that Diotrephes likes to put himself first. That can also be translated he he loves the position of preeminence. He, he loves to be prominent. He loves to be the first. Loves to put himself first. You cannot come to the conclusion that you should be first until you've rejected God's authority, right? The message of Scripture is so incredibly clear that that God is to be preeminent. Uh, Isaiah 43, we see as God talks about restoring Israel, we, we see what God says about the purpose of our life. Isaiah 43, verse 1, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by, by name. You are mine. Verse 6 of Isaiah 43, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by not my name, whom I formed for my glory. Isaiah 43, later verse 21, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. The reason that you and I came into existence into this universe is to proclaim the glory of God's name. That's why we exist. For church conflict to exist requires self-exaltation, and I cannot begin to exalt myself until first of all I say, okay, I'm going to reject the teaching of God's word, that I exist for his glory, and now I'm going to begin to pursue my glory. Now, let me make one other kind of note here before, before I go on. Um, Diotrephe seems to have a position of leadership in the church, and it's especially dangerous when people like Diotrephes come into positions of power in a church. It's especially dangerous. Maybe here's a more fair way to say it. It's especially dangerous whenever leaders give in to the temptation of diatrophies, because all leaders are potential diatrophies, right? All of us potentially are going to want to put ourselves, all of us want to put ourselves first, we're tempted to act on it, as diatrophies has. John has had his own struggles in this area. The, the apostle John here, remember from Matthew chapter tw- uh, 20, whenever his mom brings up her two sons and says, hey, Jesus, let one of these, let, let these guys sit, your, sit beside you in your kingdom. Jesus has to tell them, whoever will be first among you must be your slaves. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you are in a position of leadership, don't love your title. Don't love your position, right? Jesus says that's the characteristic of the scribes and the Pharisees. They love, he says they do all their deeds to be seen by others. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi, teacher by others. That's not how leaders in the church are to respond to their position. 
2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And Paul in Philippians 2 talked about having the mind of Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Peter would tell elders in 1 Peter chapter 5, don't domineer those in your flock, in your charge, but be examples. Diotrephes is in this position of of leadership, and he loves it. He loves the title, and he he wants to exert his will over the church, and he wants the church to be what he wants it to be. And so he engages in this two-step process. He rejects God's authority, rejects the authority of the apostles, and he begins to pursue his own glory, and, and the process is this results in this self-exaltation and inevitably conflict. You and I cannot be in right relationship with God when we're rejecting his authority and pursuing our own glory, right? It's impossible. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Hosea 13.6 talks about people as they reached this position of prominence. It says they were filled and their heart was lifted up and therefore they forgot me. You and I cannot be in right relationship with God while we pursue our own glory. Why is that? There is room for only one head in Christ's church and that is Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 118 says he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in, that in what? everything he might be preeminent. There is room for no other gods at Bethany Community Church save one. There is only room for one head of the church, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. No other heads, no other people's opinions or preferences or desires take preeminence. It is only Jesus Christ who is the head of the church. And apart from that understanding and that commitment of a church, conflict is inevitable. Why is it inevitable? Because if we don't have that attitude, saying there's one head, one Lord, one God, then we have an inevitable conflict because each of us are worshiping separate gods, ourselves. And what my God wants isn't the same thing as what the God you're worshiping wants. And as you worship your little God, and as I worship my little God, myself, our little gods come into conflict with one another, and we got to have some sort of religious war over it. Such is not the mind of Christ. I was talking with uh, some leaders one time, and, and um, it, it's interesting the ways that we exalt ourselves, and I'm including myself in this. It's interesting the ways that we exalt ourselves at times and, and don't even realize we're doing it right. I was talking to this, this, this group of, of people in a church, and a uh, sad situation. The church had dwindled down to about 15 people. And, and here's, here's the crazy thing. Uh, the church still wasn't quite small enough. You see, every, every opinion that, that a person had, there were still 14 other people in the way. <laughs> and, and as we talked, we talked about, hey, there can only be one head, right? 
it's not a big church versus a small church issue or a medium-sized church versus a big church issue. We all want it, right? We all have our perception of, of, of how things should be in a church or in our relationships. We all have, we all have kids. We, we all have an opinion about how the nursery should be run. Or we all have an opinion about how the youth ministry should be. Or we all have an opinion about how long a, a sermon should be. Or we all have an opinion about what sort of, uh, you know, just, just fill in the blank. We all have opinions. We all have preferences. And there's nothing wrong with having preferences. And there's certainly nothing wrong with having convictions about how, how best to glorify God in church. There's nothing wrong with that. Hear, hear that very clear. There's nothing wrong with having preferences. But here's the really cool thing. Here's the really cool thing about preferences. You know what my preferences are? They're not wrong. They only become wrong when I say I love my preferences more than I love you. That's where they become wrong. And the cool thing about my preferences that, that, that maybe even some of them may be God-given preferences. I have this opportunity to take my preferences and you, and you know what I can do with them? I can lay them down as a sacrifice to the Lord as a demonstration of my love for you in a church. That's a really cool thing. Things that I love so dearly, I can say I'm laying these down because you know what? I love you more than I love my opinion about how long a greeter should shake your hand about three seconds. I love you more than that. You want to destroy a church? You want to destroy a church? Reject God's authority. Exalt yourself. You want to build up a church? Humble yourself and seek God's glory. It's hard. It's hard. But Diotrephes has this vision of the church that he wants it to be and John stands in the way. God's word stands in the way. So that's, that's the, the root of the issue, right? The root of the issue of church conflict is self-exaltation. If you and I all would commit, say, okay, I am not going to reject the authority of God's word, and I'm not going to seek my own glory, I'm not to, then we wouldn't exalt ourselves, and church conflict would be done away with. That'd be it. If we say, I'm going to reject God's word, I'm going to exalt myself, then church conflict is inevitable. Now, I want you to look at verse 10, and I want you to see how self-exaltation can destroy a church. How does, okay, as I exalt myself and I say, okay, I'm going to be the, the one whose glory I'm seeking, how does self-exaltation manifest itself? What does it look like? And what do we see in verse 10? We see what John is saying has happened in the church. John says in verse 10, so if I come... To, to the church that Diotrephes and Gaius are a part of. If I come, I will bring up what he is doing. Now, understand this. Sometimes we're too quick to confront people and things, right? Or, or to take things, to, to escalate things in a church. So, uh, for example, you know, you guys all know the issues that Jake struggles with in terms of relating to people. 
Uh, but sometimes, like, Jake might be kind of short with me. I probably should have done this privately. I'm sorry, Jake. Um, sometimes Jake might be a little short. Jake has never been short with me, but theoretically he might be someday. And uh, I can say, boy, uh, Jake really was disrespectful to me. Does Jake know who I am? I am a child of God. I am a saint in the household of God. He should not talk to that uh, to me in that way, in that fashion, in that manner, and I am going to make sure that he understands that. I'm going to bring it up to the church, I'm going to bring it up to the elders, and we're going to, do, we're going to deal with this, okay? You know what? First Peter 4, 8, love covers a multitude of sins, deal with it, right? <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. Let ourselves be wronged. But there are some things that have to be dealt with. And when a, when a brother wrongs me and, and there's been a, you know, an intent in that and an ongoing nature, we, we have to deal with it. Not a momentary lapse, not just kind of one of those things, that, but there, there's rises to the level where we have to deal with it. And what happens here, Diotrephes, it says he likes to put himself first in, uh, likes to put himself first in verse 9. That refers to this ongoing action, this, this continual heart attitude that Diotrephes has, and it's going to destroy the church and John realizes that he has to deal with it in a formal way. It's what we see in 1 Timothy 5 about admitting a charge against an elder, perhaps, except in the evidence of two or three witnesses. It's what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 4.19, finds out if the talk of the arrogant people is, 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 uh, is present. And so sometimes things have to be dealt with, and here John says this has to be dealt with. Now, listen to what Diotrephes has done. He says, when he comes, I'm going to bring up what he's doing, and then he lists four things. Okay, and these, these are all characteristics of self-exaltation that can destroy a church. It says uh, he's done four things. Number one, he's talking wicked nonsense against us. Number two, not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. Number three, he also stops those who want to. And then number four, he puts them out of the church. Now, I, I want to talk through each of these four things, four ways in which self-exaltation can destroy a church. Number one, the first thing that we see there, self-exaltation can destroy a church through slanderous gossip. Self-exaltation can destroy a church through slanderous gossip. Diotrephes, John says, is talking wicked nonsense against us. Now, what does that mean, wicked nonsense? Nonsense in that sense doesn't mean that he's just kind of saying silly things like, John likes to dress up like a clown and hit people with balloon sticks. I mean, that'd be silly nonsense. It's not nonsense in that sense of the word. It's nonsense in the sense that there's no basis of reality for what Diotrephes is saying about John. Slander, slander is saying untrue things about someone for, for the purpose of harming them or, or making yourself look good. And scripture says that, it, that it's wrong, along with the sin of gossip. The goal of the Christian life is to, to cross the finish line together. Here people are spreading and receiving lies. They're trying to exalt themselves by bringing others down. And they're, they're engaging in violence. And violence is a word that we often see in Scripture accompanying slander. It's violent because what we're doing is we're, we're feeding negative feelings that people have about each other. So maybe you, you know that this person doesn't really like this person. And so you, you tell this person things about the other person so that they can 
they, they can feel even worse about that person. You know that these two people are kind of in a disagreement, and so you begin to, to tell them things that will entrench their position or, or cause them to feel negatively toward the other person or create this, this judgmental, self-righteous culture. Slander should have no part in the life of a believer. Gossip should have no hold in the life of the believer. Psalm 15 O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Psalm 140, Psalm 140, verse 11. Not, let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Romans 1 talks about this this devolution, this movement away from God, and God giving people up to a debased mind to do things that ought not to be done. He talks about what they're filled with. He says they're, they're gossip, slanderers, haters of God. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Colossians 3, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Slander, gossip, is something the believer is to, to remove from him or herself and have no part in it. The health of the church is dependent upon you and I making a commitment to not engage in gossip and slander. You know what that means? That means you're not going to share details about a person or a situation that could harm or or hurt a person. Details that are designed to make another person look bad. When a person comes to you and, and begins telling you things, how do you respond? Here's how you respond. When a person begins to tell you negative things about a brother or sister in Jesus Christ, you say, well, first of all, why are you telling me this? And you do it in a gentle way. Because oftentimes, perhaps it's a sin of not even realizing what they're doing. Say, hey, hey what, what do you want to do with this information you're giving me? I, I think there's one or two things we can do. One, we can take this information that you're giving me and we can both pray that God would cause you to repent of your hard attitude toward your brother? Is that what you want to do together? Say it nicer than that. Or, or two, are you sharing me this information so that I can be an instrument of reconciliation between you guys? So you're sharing, me that you're sharing this information about this, this wrong thing. That, are you telling me this so that we can, we can deal with it? And, and if you're not, what, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of this, this information? Help me understand. How can we Use this information that you're giving me for the glory of God. If a person is not sharing you, sharing information with you so that you can help be an instrument of peace, they're sharing the information with you so you can continue to be an instrument of destruction. Don't engage in gossip and slander. It's violence. So, self 
exaltation can destroy a church through gossip and slander. Number two, it can destroy a church because of its inability, because of its inability to love others. Remember what we saw in 1 John, what is love? Love is laying down of my life for the benefit of another person. What is self-exaltation? It's, it's exalting myself. Self-exaltation and love cannot coexist, and so self-exaltation can destroy a church because it, is, it, it creates a, an environment in which love cannot exist. So it destroys the church. Number three, self-exaltation can destroy a church by creating obstacles to obedience. So we, we saw there, he says, I'll, I'll bring up what he's doing. Not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. That's the, the lack of ability to love others. Remember, hospitality is an expression of love. Self-exaltation, hospitality can't exist, love can't exist, so inability to love. And then it can destroy a church by creating obstacles to obedience. He says he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to. Stops those meaning he hinders them. So there's some people who desire to be obedient and Diotrephes is creating obstacles to those who want to be obedient. It's this obstruction of progress. It's coercion of others to prevent them from being obedient to God. And a church that creates people full of self-exaltation that are serving as obstacles to other people obeying God because if they obey God, it will be a threat to what they desire. That's going to destroy a church as well. And then number four, how else can self-exaltation destroy a church? Self-exaltation can destroy a church by creating divisions. Divisions and divisiveness. It says that he stops those who want to be obedient. And then, what, what's the last stage here? It says that he, he puts them out of the church. Because Diotrephes loves himself and loves his position of, of prominence, he's removing people from the church who disagree with him. Now, maybe you've never done that. But there have been ways that perhaps in your heart you've, you've created factions in the church. Now, there's a, there's a group of people in the church who, you know, we're the people who like this, and we're the people who do this, and we're the people who are that, and we're the people who are this. Guys, we, we can't have that. We can't be a church who's a church of this and a church of that. Paul addressed divisions in the church in 1 Corinthians 3, and he says there's jealousy, there's strife among you. And then he says, um, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? He's saying, okay, there's, there's this church here in Corinth, and some of you say, well, I'm kind of a Paul fan. I'm more of a Paulus guy. As you do that, you're creating these divisions. What then is Apollos, he says? What is Paul, servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each? I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. We cannot be a church that is factitious or is full of factions. When we begin to label ourselves, th- there's danger in that. Well, I'm a, I'm a Methodist. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm kind of more of a, I'm definitely a Baptist. I'm a Calvinist. I'm, I'm Reformed. I'm part of the young, restless Reformed. I'm this, I'm that. I'm dispensational. I'm covenantal. Now, 
I don't think it's wrong to sometimes use words to describe what we believe doctrinally. I don't think it's wrong to say, well, I'm, I'm a Baptist. But when that, that becomes our, our sole identifier, man, there is a problem. It's concerning. There's, it, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. I read a story this last week about a pastor who, uh, now I question the wisdom of this as well, he engaged in a, a little bet with his congregation about how many people would come to church and a bunch of people came and he lost and so because he lost uh, he had to get a, a tattoo of his church's logo a tattoo of his church's logo which you know I love our church but I'm not sure if that sends the right message although if I were going to get a tattoo I would definitely go to Freedom Inc. with Tim Beck <laughs> for all your inking needs you know where I've gotten all my ink done, but I think it sends the wrong message, right? We cannot be a church that's, that, that, that's full of factions. I'm this group, I'm that group, I'm this group. Diotrephes does that. You see, as we create these factions, what we're saying is, uh, I, this is who I want our church to be, and I'm so committed to, to this being our identity that I'm going to, to work to oppose those who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to work to oppose those who are the other, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to get what I want accomplished. All of us have that temptation. I have that temptation in my heart. I want to be part of the, this camp or that camp. We can't do it. We can't do it. Watch out. You and I have the power to destroy this church. You and I have the power to destroy Bethany Community Church or at least greatly hinder her ministry. It's not rocket science. All we have to do is reject the authority of God's word and begin to pursue our own glory, our own self-exaltation. But guys, I'm committed in my belief that that's not what any of us desire, to love the Lord. That each of us say, you know what, what I desire is, is not for this to be the exaltation of, of Daniel Bennett Church, fill in your own name there, but, but the exaltation of Jesus Christ. So I want to see one head, one person preeminent. Not myself, not my faction but Jesus Christ. The one, because of God's great love for me, gave himself up for me. The one who, apart from no work on my own part, suffered for my sin, died on the cross, rose from the dead, drew me to himself and allowed me to place my faith in him alone for my salvation. That's the one I want to receive the glory. That's the one who is preeminent. That's the one who I want to see exalted now and into eternity. By God's grace, we can build his church as we seek God's glory and not our own. Let's pray. Father, we pray that that would be true of us, that you would allow us to rightly pursue your glory passionately pursue your glory, that we would, be, we would decrease as you would increase. And the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted in this community uh, because 
because we have passionately pursued it. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.